Section 19 of the Natural History, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jack Ball. The Natural History, Volume 7, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 19, Book 34, Chapters 20 to 38. Chapter 20, The Different Kinds of Copper and Its Combinations. Pyropus, Companion Copper. We will now return to the different kinds of copper and its several combinations. In Cyprian copper, we have the kind known as coronarium and that called regulari, both of them ductile. The former is made into thin leaves and after being coloured with ox gall, is used for what has all the appearance of gilding on the coronets worn upon the stage. The same substance, if mixed with gold, in the proportion of the six scruples of gold to the ounce, and reduced into thin plates, acquires a fiery red colour, and is termed pyropus. In other mines again, they prepare the kind known as regulari, as also that which is called caldarium. These differ from each other in this respect, that, in the latter, the metal is only fused and breaks when struck with the hammer, whereas the regulare is malleable or ductile, as some call it, a property which belongs naturally to all the copper of Cyprus. In case, however, of all the other mines, this difference between bar copper and cast brass is produced by artificial means. All the ores, in fact, will produce bar or malleable copper when sufficiently melted and purified by heat. Among the other kinds of copper, the palm of excellence is awarded to that of Campania, which is the most esteemed for vessels and utensils. This last is prepared several ways. At Capua, it is melted upon fires made with wood and not coals, after which it is sprinkled with cold water and cleansed through a sieve made of oak. After being thus smelted a number of times, Spanish silver lead is added to it, in the proportion of 10 pounds of lead to 100 pounds of copper, a method by which it is rendered pliable and made to assume that agreeable colour which is imparted to other kinds of copper by the application of oil and the action of the sun. Many parts, however, of Italy and the provinces produce a similar kind of metal, but there they add only eight pounds of lead, and in consequence of the scarcity of the wood, melt it several times over upon coals. It is in Gaul more particularly, where the ore is melted between red-hot stones, that the difference is to be seen that is produced by these variations in the method of smelting. Indeed, this last method scorches the metal and renders it black and friable. Besides, they only melt it twice, whereas the oftener this operation is repeated, the better in quality it becomes. It is also as well to remark that all copper fuses best when the weather is intensely cold. The proper combination for making statues and tablets is as follows. The ore is first melted after which there is added to the molten metal one-third part of second-hand copper, or, in other words, copper that has been in use and brought up for the purpose. For it is a peculiarity of this metal that when it has been some time in use and has been subject to long-continued friction, it becomes seasoned, and subdued as it were, to a high polish. Twelve pounds and a half of silver lead are then added to every hundred pounds of the fused metal. There is also a combination of copper of a most delicate nature, mould copper, as it is called, there being added to the metal one, 
tenth part of lead, and one twentieth of silver lead, this combination being the best adapted for taking the colour known as Gryocanicus. The last kind is that known as Olaria, from the vessels that are made of it. In this combination, three or four pounds of silver lead are added to every hundred pounds of copper. By the addition of lead to Cyprian copper, the purple tint is produced that we see upon the drapery of statues. Chapter 21 The Method of Preserving Copper Copper becomes covered with verdigris more quickly when cleaned than when neglected, unless it is well rubbed with oil. It is said that the best method of preserving it is with a coating of tar. The custom of making use of copper for monuments, which are intended to be perpetuated, is of very ancient date. It is upon tablets of brass that our public enactments are engraved. Chapter 22 Cadmia The ores of copper furnish a number of resources that are employed in medicine. Indeed, all kinds of ulcers are healed thereby with great rapidity. Of these, however, the most useful is cadmia. This substance is formed artificially beyond a doubt. In the furnaces also where they smelt silver, but it is whiter and not so heavy, and by no means to be compared with that from copper. There are several kinds of it, for as the mineral itself, from which it is prepared artificially, so necessary in fusing copper ore, and so useful in medicine, has the name of cadmium. So also it is found in the smelting furnaces where it receives other names, according to the way in which it was formed. By the action of the flame and the blast, the more attenuated parts of the metal are separated and become attached, in proportion to their lightness, to the arch, top and sides of the furnace. These flakes are the thinnest near the exterior opening of the furnace, where the flame finds a vent, the substance being called capnitis. From its burnt appearance and its extreme lightness, it resembles white ashes. The best is that which is found in the interior, hanging from the arches of the chimney, and from its form and position named botryitis. It is heavier than the first mentioned kind, but lighter than those which follow. It is of two different colours. The least valuable is ash-coloured, the better kind being red, friable, and extremely useful as a remedy for affections of the eyes. A third kind of cadmia is that found on the sides of the furnace, and which, in consequence of its weight, could not reach the arched vaults of the chimney. This species is called placitis, in reference to its solid appearance, it presenting a plain surface more like a solid crust than pumice and mottled within. Its great use is for the cure of itchscab and for making wounds iacotrize. Of this last there are two varieties, the onychitis, which is almost entirely blue on the exterior and spotted like an onyx within, and the ostracitis, which is quite black and more dirty than the others, but particularly useful for healing wounds. All the species of cadmia are of the best quality from the furnaces of Cyprus. When used in medicine, it is heated a second time upon a fire of pure charcoal, and when duly incinerated, is quenched in Arminian wine if required for making plasters, but in vinegar if wanted for the cure of itchscab. Some persons first pound it, and then burn it in earthen pots, which done, they wash it in mortars and then dry it. Nymphodorus recommends that the most heavy and dense pieces of mineral cadmia that can be procured should be burnt upon hot coals and quenched in Qian wine, after which it must be pounded and then sifted through a linen cloth. 
It is then pulverised in a mortar and macerated in rainwater, the sediment being again pounded until it is reduced to the consistency of ceruse and presents no grittiness to the teeth. Aeolus recommends the same process, except that he selects the purest specimens of native cadmia. Chapter 23 15 Remedies Derived from Cadmia 10 Medicinal Effects of Calcined Copper Cadmia acts as a desiccative, heals wounds, arrests discharges, acts detergently upon webs and foul incrustations of the eyes, removes eruptions and produces in fact all the good effects which we will have occasion to mention when speaking of lead. Copper too itself, when calcined, is employed for all these purposes, in addition to which it is used for white spots and cicatrizations upon the eyes. Mixed with milk, it is curative also of ulcers upon the eyes, for which purpose the people in Egypt made a kind of eye salve by grinding it upon whetstones. Taken with honey, it acts as an emetic. For these purposes, Cyprian copper is calcined in unbaked earthen pots, with an equal quantity of sulphur, the apertures of the vessel being well looted, and it being left in the furnace until the vessel itself has become completely hardened. Some persons add salt, and others substitute alum for sulphur. Others, again, add nothing, but merely sprinkle the copper with vinegar. When calcined, it is pounded in a mortar of Thebaic stone, after which it is washed with rainwater, and then pounded with a large quantity of water and left to settle. This process is repeated until the deposit has gained the appearance of minium, after which it is dried in the sun and put by for keeping in a box made of copper. Chapter 24 The Scoria of Copper The scoria too of copper is washed in the same manner but the action of it is less efficacious than that of copper itself. The flower too of copper is also used in medicine, a substance which is procured by fusing copper and then removing it into another furnace, where the repeated action of the bellows makes the metal separate into small scales, like the husks of millet, and known as the flower of copper. These scales are also separated. When the cakes of metal are plunged into water, they become red too, like the scales of copper known as lepis, by means of which the genuine flower of copper is adulterated, it being also sold under that name. This last is made by hammering nails that are forged from the cakes of metal. All these processes are principally carried on in the furnaces of Cyprus. The great difference between these substances being that this lepis is detached from the cakes by hammering, whereas the flower falls off spontaneously. Chapter 25 Stomoma of Copper 47 Remedies There is another finer kind of scale which is detached from the surface of the metal, like a very fine down, and known as stomoma. But of all these substances, and even of their names, the physicians, if I may venture to say, are quite ignorant, as appears by the names they give them. So unacquainted are they with the preparation of medicaments, a thing that was formerly considered the most essential part of their profession. At the present day, whenever they happen to find a book of recipes, if they wish to make any composition from these substances, or, in other words, to make trial with a prescription at the expense of their unhappy patients, they trust entirely to the druggists, who spoil everything by their fraudulent adulterations. For this long time past, 
they have even purchased their plasters and eye salves ready-made. And the consequence is that the spoiled or adulterated wares in the druggist's shops are thus got rid of. Both lepis and flour of copper are calcined in the shallow earthen or brazen pans, after which they are washed, as described above, and employed for the same purposes. In addition to above, they are used for excrescences in the nostrils and in the anus, and also for dullness of the hearing, being forcibly blown into the ears through a tube. Incorporated with meal, they are applied to swellings of the uvula, and with honey, to swellings of the tonsils. The scales prepared from white copper are much less efficacious than those from Cyprian copper. Sometimes they first macerate the nails and cakes of copper in a boy's urine, and in some instances they pound the scales when detached and wash them in rainwater. They are then given to dropsical patients in doses of two drachmae with one semisextarius of honeyed wine. They are also made into a liniment with fine flour. Chapter 26. Verdigris, 18 remedies. Verdigris is also applied to many purposes, and is prepared in numerous ways. Sometimes it is detached already formed, from the mineral from which copper is smelted, and sometimes it is made by piercing holes in white copper and suspending it over strong vinegar in casks, which are closed with covers, it being much superior if scales of copper are used for the purpose. Some persons plunge vessels themselves, made of white copper, into earthen pots filled with vinegar and scrape them at the end of ten days. Others, again, cover the vessels with husks of grapes and scrape them in the same way at the end of ten days. Others sprinkle vinegar upon copper filings and stir them frequently with a spatula in the course of the day until they are completely dissolved. Others prefer triturating these filings with vinegar in a brazen mortar but the most expeditious method of all is to add the vinegar shavings of coronet copper. Rhodian verdigris, more particularly, is adulterated with pounded marble. Some persons use pumice stone or gum. The adulteration, however, which is the most difficult to detect, is made with copper ass, the other sophistications being detected by the crackling of the substance when bitten with the teeth. The best mode of testing it is by using an iron fire shovel. For when thus subjected to the fire, if pure, the verdigris retains its colour, but if mixed with copperas, it becomes red. The fraud may also be detected by using the leaf of papyrus, which has been steeped in an infusion of nut galls, for which it becomes black immediately upon the genuine verdigris being applied. It may also be detected by the eye, the green colour being unpleasant to the sight. But whether it is pure or adulterated, the best method is first to wash and dry it, and then to burn it in a new earthen vessel, turning it over until it is reduced to an ash, after which it is pounded and put by for use. Some persons calcine it in raw earthen vessels until the earthenware becomes thoroughly baked. Others again add it to male frankincense. Verdigris is washed too in the same manner as cadmia. It affords a most useful ingredient for eye salves, and from its mordant action is highly beneficial for watery humours of the eyes. It is necessary, however, to wash the part with warm water applied with a fine sponge until its mordancy is no longer felt. Chapter 27. Hierarchium. Hierarchium is the name given to an eye salve 
which is essentially composed of the following ingredients. Four ounces of salamonia, two of Cyprian verdigris, the same quantity of the kind of copperas which is called chalcanthum, one ounce of maize and six of saffron. All these substances being pounded together with thasian vinegar and made up into pills. It is an excellent remedy for incipient glaucoma and cataract, as also for films upon the eyes, eruptions, albugo, and diseases of the eyelids. Verdigris in a crude state is also used as an ingredient in plasters for wounds. In combination with oil, it is wonderfully efficacious for ulcerations of the mouth and gums, and for sore lips. Used in the form of a serrate, it acts detergently upon ulcers and promotes their cicatrization. Verdigris also consumes the callocytes of fistulas and excrescences about the anus, either used by itself, applied with a sal ammoniac, or inserted in the fistula in the form of a salve. The same substance, kneaded with one third part of resin turpentine, removes leprosy. Chapter 28 Skoldax of Copper 18 Remedies There is another kind of verdigris also, which is called Skolax. It is prepared by treating in a mortar of Cyprian coffer, alum and salt, or an equal quantity of nitre. With the very strongest white vinegar, this preparation is only made during the hottest days of the year, about the rising of the dog star. The whole is triturated until it becomes green and assumes the appearance of small worms to which it owes its name. This repulsive form is corrected by mixing the urine of a young child with twice the quantity of vinegar. Skolex is used for the same medicinal purposes as Santerna, which we have described as being used for soldering gold, and they have both of them the same properties as verdigris. Native Skolex is also procured by scraping the copper ore of which we are about to speak. Chapter 29. Calcitis. Seven Remedies Calcitis is the name of a mineral from which, as well as cadmia, copper is extracted by heat. It differs from cadmia in this respect, that this last is procured from beds below the surface, while calcitis is detached from rocks that are exposed to the air. Calcitis also becomes immediately friable, being naturally so soft as to have the appearance of a compressed mass of down. There is also this other distinction between them, that calcitis is a composition of three other substances, copper, mysi, and sori, of which last we shall speak in their appropriate places. The veins of copper which it contains are oblong. The most approved kind is the colour of honey. It is streaked with fine sinuous veins, and is friable and not stony. It is generally thought to be most valuable when fresh, as when old, it becomes converted into sori. It is highly useful for removing fleshy excrescences in ulcers, for arresting hemorrhage, and in the form of a powder, for acting as stringently upon the gums, the uvula, and the tonsillary glands. It is applied in wool, as a pessary, for affections of the uterus, and with leek juice it is formed into plasters for diseases of the genitals. This substance is macerated for 40 days in vinegar, in an earthen vessel looted with dung, after which it acquires a saffron colour. When this composition is mixed with an equal proportion of cadmia, it forms the medicament known as soricon. If two parts of calcitis are combined with one of cadmia, 
the medicament becomes more active, and it is rendered still more powerful if vinegar is used instead of wine. For all these purposes, calcined calcitis is the most efficacious. Chapter 30 Sori Three Remedies The Sori of Egypt is the most esteemed, being considered much superior to that of Cyprus, Spain and Africa, although some prefer the Sori from Cyprus for affections of the eyes. But from whatever place it comes, the best is that which has the strongest odour, and which, when triturated, becomes greasy, black and spongy. It is a substance so unpleasant to the stomach that some persons are made sick merely by the smell. This is the case more particularly with the sori from Egypt, that from other countries, by trituration, acquires the lust of mysie and used as a collatory. It is good for toothache. It is also useful for malignant ulcers of a serpignous nature. It is calcined upon charcoal like calcitis. Chapter 31 Mysie 13 Remedies Some persons have stated that mysie is formed by the calcination of the mineral in trenches. Its fine yellow powder become mixed with the ashes of the burnt firewood. The fact is, however, that though obtained from the mineral, it is already formed and in compact masses which require force to detach them. The best is that which comes from the manufactories of Cyprus, its characteristics being that when broken, it sparkles like gold, and when triturated, it presents a sandy or earthy appearance, like calcitis. Mysi is used in the process of refining gold. Mixed with oil of roses, it is used as an injection for separations of the ears, and in combination with wool, it is applied to the ulcers of the head. It also removes inveterate granulations of the eyelids, and is particularly useful for affectations of the tonsils, quinsy, and separations. For these maladies, 16 drachmae should be mixed with one semisextarius of vinegar and boiled with the addition of some honey until it becomes of a viscous consistency, in which state it is applicable to the different purposes above mentioned. When its action is wanted to be modified, a sprinkling of honey is added. A fermentation of mysie and vinegar removes the callocytes of fistulous ulcers. It also enters into the composition of eye salves. It arrests hemorrhage, prevents the spreading of serpigneous and putrid ulcers, and consumes fleshy excrescences. It is particularly useful for diseases of the male generative organs and acts as a cheek upon menstruation. Chapter 32 Calsanthum or Shoemaker's Black 16 Remedies The Greeks, by the name, which they have given to it, have indicated the relation between shoemaker's black and copper, for they call it calzanthum. Indeed, there is no substance so singular in its nature. It is prepared in Spain from the water of wells or pits which contain it in dissolution. This water is boiled with an equal quantity of pure water, and is then poured into large wooden reservoirs. Across these reservoirs there are a number of immovable beams to which cords are fastened and then sunk into the water beneath by means of stones, upon which a slimy sediment attaches itself to the cords, in drops of a vitreous appearance, somewhat resembling a bunch of grapes. Upon being removed, it is dried for thirty days. It is of an azure colour, and of a brilliant lustre, and is often taken for glass. When dissolved, it forms the black dye that is used for colouring leather. Calsanthum is also prepared in various other ways, 
the earth which contains it being sometimes excavated into trenches, from the sides of which globules exude, which become concrete when exposed to the action of the winter frosts. This kind is called stalagmia, and there is none more pure. When its colour is nearly white, with a slight tinge of violet, it is called longcorton. It is also prepared in pans hollowed out in the rocks, the rainwater carrying the slime into them, where it settles and becomes hardened. It is also formed in the same way in which we prepare salt, the intense heat of the sun separating the fresh water from it. Hence, it is that some distinguish the two kinds of chalcanthum, the fossil and the artificial, the latter being paler than the former and much inferior to it in quality as it is in colour. The calcitis which comes from Cyprus is the most highly esteemed for the purposes of medicine, being taken in doses of one drachma with honey, as an expellent of intestinal worms. Diluted and injected into the nostrils, it acts detergently upon the brain, and taken with honey or with hydromel, it acts as a purgative upon the stomach. It removes granulations upon the eyelids and is good for pains and films upon the eyes. It is curative also of ulcerations of the mouth. It arrests bleeding at the nostrils and hemorrhoidal discharges. In combination with seed of hyoscyamus, it brings away splinters of broken bones. Applied to the forehead with a sponge, it acts as a check upon defluxations of the eyes. Made up into plasters, it is very efficacious as a detergent for sores and flesh excrescences in ulcers. The decoction of it by the contact solely, is curative of swellings of the uvula. It is laid with linseed upon plasters, which are used for relieving pains. The whitish kind is preferred to the violent in one instance only, for the purpose of being blown into the ears, through a tube to relieve deafness. Applied topically by itself, it heals wounds, but it leaves a discoloration upon the scars. It has been lately discovered that if sprinkled upon the mouths of bears and lions in the arena, its astringent action is so powerful as to deprive the animals of the power of biting. Chapter 33. Pomphilix. The substances called pomphilix and spodos are also found in the furnaces of copper smelting works. The difference between them being that pomphilix is disengaged by washing while spodos is not washed. Some persons have called the part, which is white and very light, pomphilix, and say that it is the ashes of copper and cadmia, whereas spodos is darker and heavier, being a substance scraped from the walls of the furnace, mixed with extinguished sparks from the metal, and sometimes with the residue of coals. When vinegar is combined with it, pomphilix emits a coppery smell, and if it is touched with the tongue, the taste is most abominable. It is useful as an ingredient in ophthalmic preparations for all diseases of the eyes, as also for all the purposes of which spodos is used, this last only differing from it in its action being less powerful. It is also used for plasters, when required to be gently cooling and desiccative. For all these purposes, it is more efficacious when it has been moistened with wine. Chapter 34. Spodos. Five Remedies. The Cyprian spodos is the best. It is formed by using it is formed by fusing cadmia with copper ore. This substance, which is the lightest part of the metal disengaged by fusion, escapes from the furnace and adheres to the roof, being distinguished from the soot by the whiteness of its colour. Such parts of it are as less white 
are indicative of incomplete combustion, and this is what some persons call pomphilix. Some portions of it, as are of a more reddish colour, are possessed of a more energetic power, and are found to be so corrosive that if it touches the eyes while being washed, it will cause blindness. There is also a spodos of a honey colour, an indication that it contains a large proportion of copper. All the different kinds, however, are improved by washing, it being first skimmed with a feather, and afterwards submitted to a more substantial washing, the harder grains being removed with the finger. That too which has been washed with wine is more modified in its effects, there being also some difference according to the kind of wine that is used. When it has been washed with weak wine, the spodos is considered not so beneficial as an ingredient in medicaments for the eyes, but the same kind of preparation is more efficacious for running sores, and for ulcers of the mouth attended with the discharge of matter, as well as in all those remedies which are used for gangrene. There is also a kind of spodos, called laureotis, which is made in the furnaces where silver is smelted. The kind, however, that is best for the eyes, it is said, is that produced in the furnaces for smelting gold. Indeed, there is no department of art in which the ingenuity of man is more to be admired, for it has discovered, among the very commonest objects, a substance that is in every way possessed of similar properties. Chapter 35 15 Varieties of Antispodos The substance called antispodos is produced from the ashes of the fig tree, or wild fig, or of leaves of myrtle, together with the more tender shoots of the branches. The leaves, too, of the wild olive furnish it, the cultivated olive, the quince tree, and the lentisk, unripe mulberries also, before they have changed their colour. Dried in the sun, and the foliage of the box, pseudocyperus, bramble, terebinth, and oenanthi. The same virtues have also been found in the ashes of bowl glue and of linen cloth. All these substances are burnt in a pot of raw earth, which is heated in a furnace until the earthenware is thoroughly baked. Chapter 36 Smegma In the copper forges also smegma is prepared. When the metal is liquefied and thoroughly smelted, charcoal is added to it and gradually kindled, after which, upon it being suddenly acted upon by a powerful pair of bellows, a substance is disengaged like a sort of copper chaff. The floor on which it is received ought to be prepared with a stratum of coal dust. Chapter 37 Diphrix There is another product of these furnaces which is easily distinguished from smegma, and which the Greeks call diphrix, from its twice being calcine. This substance is prepared from three different sources. It is prepared, they say, from a mineral pyrites, which is heated in the furnace until it is converted by calcination into a red earth. It is also made in Cyprus, from a slimy substance extracted from a certain cavern there, which is first dried and then gradually heated by a fire made of twigs. A third way of making it is from the residue in the copper furnaces that falls to the bottom. The difference between the component parts of the ore is this. The copper itself runs into the receivers, the scoriae make their escape from the furnace, the flour becomes sublimated, and the diphrix remains behind. Some say that there are certain globules in the ore while being smelted, which become soldered together, and that the rest of the metal is fused around it, the mass itself not becoming liquefied, 
unless it is transferred to another furnace, and forming a sort of knot, as it were, in the metal. That which remains after the fusion, they say, is called diphrix. Its use in medicine is similar to that of the substances mentioned above. It is desiccative, removes morbid excrescences, and acts as a detergent. It is tested by placing it on the tongue, which ought to be instantly parched by it, a coppery flavour being perceptible. Chapter 38 Particulars Relative to the Servilian Trians We must not neglect to mention one other very remarkable fact relative to copper, the Servilian family. So illustrious in our annals, nourishes with gold and silver a copper trians, which devours them both. The origin and nature of this coin is to me incomprehensible, but I will quote the very words of the story as given by old Masala himself. The family of the Servili is in possession of a sacred trians, to which they offer every year a sacrifice, with the greatest care and magnificence. The trians itself, they say, appear sometimes to increase in size and sometimes to diminish, changes which indicate the coming advancement or decadence of the family. End of section 19. Recording by Jack Ball.